0: Brianna Vigor was more than just your average sixth grader. To her classmates at SEMS Middle School, she was able to balance school, a social life, and dance competitions seamlessly. It only made sense that Brianna's peers elected her to be class representative, making her the central point of contact for all of her fellow middle schoolers. In order to keep up with everyone, she began following her classmates on all forms of social media. But one day... An unfamiliar user requested to follow her, claiming to be a fellow student at SEMS. Little did she know that the user was not a student, not even a child, and he certainly didn't live in Alabama. When Brianna tapped accept, it opened the door to a three-year-long nightmare. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Brianna hadn't intended to speak to any strangers online, but when this mysterious user began to strike up a conversation with her, she believed she was simply getting to know a classmate. The conversation started innocently enough, but over the span of two weeks, things gradually became more invasive. The predator began to groom her, asking her about her life, her family, as well as invasive and personal questions. All of a sudden, things took a turn when the Predator demanded Brianna send him explicit photos. She refused, but it was already too late. The Predator knew enough about her home, her parents, and her sister. He threatened to take everything away from her if she refused to comply. For the next three years, This monster coerced Brianna to perform lewd acts on video calls, which he trafficked across the internet. Brianna's story serves as proof that the dangers children face are no longer just strangers outside the home physically, but predators hidden behind a screen as well. Brianna refused to let her experience define her. As a survivor of online exploitation, she founded Stopping Traffic, an organization that advocates for survivors, raises awareness about the dangers of trafficking, and works to create a safer environment for those most vulnerable. Today, Brianna joins me to share her story and to share the message she hopes to send parents and children.
1: Whenever I was in sixth grade, going into the sixth grade, Um, I attended the largest middle school in the state of Alabama called Sims Middle School. And within the first week, I was elected as class representative. Basically, what that means is I had to get a point of contact for everyone in my homeroom class, whether it was social media, um, phone numbers and email, any sort of way just to get in contact with my fellow classmates, just to take a little bit of pressure off of my homeroom teacher. So reminding our class hey, we have a pop quiz on Wednesday. Don't forget to turn in your fellowship money on Friday, that sort of thing. And so, you know, social media was new. It was on the rise. Snapchat had just come out. Instagram had just come out. Facebook was around, but that was for old people. So we didn't use that. And, you know, I was friending so many people, not really asking myself the important question of, do you actually know this person? And in return, I was gaining a lot of requests as well. Um, and I was just going down the line, hitting the accept button. Um, and of course with that come messages. And some of them were people that I knew that were for sure in my class. Some I was still getting to know everyone. So I wasn't too sure, but I didn't want to be rude or mean. So I always responded. And you know, this one message came across, it was very vague. It, it was, hey, how was your day today? And I looked at the profile. It looked like a middle school profile. Um, the name was very vague as well. And I couldn't put a face to the name. Um, but like I said, you know, this was a large middle school. So I, I just figured, well, maybe I haven't met them yet. And, um, so I I messaged back and I was like, good, how was your day? And we just kind of sparked up a conversation and we're getting to know one another. Um, I'm of course telling a lot of information regarding myself, who my family is, um, what I'm interested in, all the things. And I, I kind of noticed that this individual would never really give me a lot in return as far as who he was and what he was interested in. And, um, you know, the conversation that we were kind of talking about, it was very much so kind of one-sided, but once again, I didn't really think too much of it. And, um, we started talking for about two weeks and just getting to know one another. And then, all of a sudden, it's like the what I know now. The grooming process started. So he would ask me, "Have you ever held hands with a boy before? Have you have you ever kissed a guy before?" And in my mind, I'm like, ew, no, guys are gross." Um, but each time he would ask me something along those lines, he was pushing those boundaries. Um, you know, kind of like taking it a step further. Um, would you ever send an explicit photo? Um, would you ever meet up with a stranger and, and do X, Y, and Z? So of course, in my mind, I'm starting to realize maybe this isn't someone that I'm attending school with just because those who I hung out around, we just didn't act in that manner. And it got to the point where he, you know, just asked me point blank, like send an explicit photo of yourself. And that kind of confirmed everything that I was feeling that this was not someone that I am going to school with and when that happened when I, I asked him I was like who are you I don't believe that you're saying who you actually are and it's like his screen his screen name changed and it was a bunch of letters and numbers and so I, I put it into google and when I do that and hit the search button it pops up and it says the minute you report him his people will kill you and your family and you know, I'm 12 years old looking at this message and if Google's saying it in my mind, my 12 year old mind, I'm like, this is, this is right. Like he's going to make good on this threat. So, so I, I send the photo and, you know, from that point forward, it's like this individual has ammunition against me and I, I can't really turn back. Um, and of course, you know, I send one photo and he asks for more and, this angle and do this. And, you know, my situation lasted for about three years where I just didn't say anything to anybody. Um, and it got so bad where this individual was live streaming me on Skype, ultimately trafficking me over the internet. Um, but we didn't find that out until later on in the investigation. Um, and I'll get to that in just a second. But this individual, just a little bit of history on him. He was very tech savvy. He was from the California area. He had dual citizenship between here and Mexico. But what most people are surprised about, he was a younger individual. He's Whenever we think of a, a human trafficker or an online predator, we kind of think of an older individual. But that wasn't the case. He was in his early 20s, um, which was kind of unusual. I wasn't expecting that, but it just goes to show that he was very much so tech savvy and like with the new and up and coming apps, he knew how to navigate it more than your typical um, older person. And so, like I said, this happened for three years and it wasn't until probably about a week before... Or a week after my family returned from Las Vegas from a national dance competition, I grew up as a competitive dancer, um, that my mom found out what had been happening. So she had done, her and my dad had done random phone checks throughout the year whenever we got a device. And, you know, whenever we got older, it kind of became less and less. But um, that was mainly during the day. And whenever he would contact me, it was early hours in the morning, around like one or two in the morning. Um, and so it was in the summer, my dad was at the fire station, my mom, she just couldn't sleep. And she had this kind of like gut intuition to go check up on me throughout the night. So she gets up, makes her way down the hallway. She looks over my sister's room, the lights off, doors closed, everything seems fine. My door is closed and my lights shining underneath. So she goes and she opens it and I'm sitting on my bed with a full face of makeup on with my phone in my hand with the screen facing up. And as soon as she walks in, I turn my phone where the screen is faced down. This was, of course, a red flag to her. So she comes up and she she asks me, she's like, what are you doing up so late? And like I said, it's summer, summertime, so not too unusual. And um, I give her the classic excuse of, oh, well, I just couldn't sleep. And... Um, she can notice I start to get a little bit antsy and uncomfortable with her being there. So she walks up even closer to me and she kind of presents her hand. She's like, let me see your phone. And I'm the kid. I do not disrespect my parents in any way. I very much so did as I was told all the time. I never talked back. But when she asked me that, I, I kind of rebuttaled and said no. So another red flag for her. And she eventually just snatches my phone from my hand. And I just start rambling at this this point saying, well, just give me my punishment now, whatever it is. I'll just take my punishment. And she sends me off to her room for the night and I sleep like a baby um, because this individual, he would keep me up late at night, just, you know, even on school nights where I wouldn't go to bed until two or three in the morning. Um, Being sleep deprived was actually one of his tactics to kind of keep me on edge And so my mom stayed up that night unveiling the horrors that I had been enduring for the past three years. And I can only imagine like as a mom, how hard that was. And, you know, of course my dad comes home the next morning, we all sit down and they just kind of ask like, what is, who is this person? What's been going on? Like, you haven't been acting right, but we kind of contribute, like attributed it to you just being in middle school, you know, wanting some privacy, the whole, um, like all those things. And, um, At first, I didn't speak. I was way too nervous because he had specifically threatened if I ever told anyone or if I didn't do as he asked me to, that he would kill my older sister, Savannah. And I'm so close with her. She's like a second mom to me. I just couldn't bear the thought of anything ever happening to her. That's why I stayed in that situation for so long. So when they started asking me questions, I just didn't talk. But, of course, they chipped at me uh, little by little, and I would give them a um, little bit of information each time to where my mom could piece enough information together where she had a pretty good idea of what had been happening. And my mom's a real estate agent. She researches for a living. So it didn't take her long to really get information on this guy, who he was, um, what he was involved in, and just general information that, um, you know, local law enforcement could use to, to make a case. And she had been documenting whenever he had been reaching out to me uh, because everything was transferred over to her phone at that point. So she had kind of built a case before we went to local law enforcement. So we went to our local uh, sheriff's department in Sims and it was, I don't know if you know anything about the heat in (laughs) South Alabama, but in summertime, it is hot. It is scorching hot. It was a summer day in June and the police officer drives up he does not get out of his police vehicle. He looks at us, rolls his eyes um, and says, I can write this up as harassing communications, but I can tell you right now it's not going to go anywhere. And, you know, of course, as a mom and as a father, that's really hard to hear. But as a victim, it's even harder because it's so hard to come forward in the first place. But then whenever you're told that there is no case, they can you know, prosecute this even further then it's just kind of like a stab in the gut. But thankfully, I have parents that don't take no for an answer. They were able to get in contact with the Child Advocacy Center um, in Mobile. And then also they connected us to the local FBI office. And from there, my FBI file went from Mobile to Los Angeles to Mexico, and then he was stopped in Memphis. This individual didn't stop this whole process um, whenever we first reported it. You know, of course, it takes time. The laws of justice uh, spin very slow. So, you know, for three years, another additional three years, they were keeping eyes on this guy, you know, um, like moving my case from location to location. And so for another three years is when he was stopped in person um, because he had fled to Mexico and they had flagged his passport. So whenever he flew back in the country, that's when they stopped him. They asked him to come in for questioning, and he willingly agreed. He said that he knew me and that we did some pretty crazy things back in the day, but nothing criminal. And the reason he was never prosecuted was because a couple days before my family had left for Las Vegas, we had switched phone companies from like Verizon to AT&T or vice versa. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Um, And the FBI said There went all the evidence. Um, You know, I'm not sure if there's not some sort of way to pull that information, just because we all know things on the Internet simply just don't go away. But I don't know how hard it would be to access those things. So he is still out there. He was never prosecuted. No charges um, are against him. But I do believe he's so tech savvy and he was so good at what he was doing that there are other victims. So I just I hope and pray that his day will come eventually, but, you know, you can't bank on that at all times. And so, you know, just to show how serious this whole situation was, I talk about Las Vegas and that being a national dance competition. It was just my sister, my mom and I who went, my dad had to work. And throughout that week, you're, as a competitive dancer, you do, they're called convention classes. So you get to do these big classes with great um, instructors within, you know, the dance industry and learn from them and, you know, just experience all of that. And so you do classes throughout the day and then you compete at night. And usually the competition goes late into the morning until like 12 at night one. And um, so I had danced all day. And then was competing that night. My mom and sister were getting me ready for my next dance in the dressing room. And another mom from another team had stepped in and said, you know, parents, if you're getting your girls dressed, go ahead and cover them up. We have this guy who's kind of pacing in front of the doorway. And I didn't really think too much about it. Um, You know, I just kind of got ready really quick and then went on my way. But. When my mom found out about a week later, um, whenever we came home, what had been happening, she remembers that comment being made. So she calls the hotel that this competition we were in and, you know, asked to pull security footage. This man was escorted out of the building that night, and my mom was able to identify him and say that it was the individual who had been messaging me online. So he had every intent to take me that night, and, you know, I just... I always say, like, thank God, that's not the story that I have to share today. Um, But it just goes to show that the intent was there, that he essentially had me sold. All he had to do was just get his hands on me. And, you know, that's it's so scary to think about. But it just goes to show that I believe that all of this happened for a reason. And I'm the type of person who I'm not going to let this story and, you know, like use the situation to kind of bring me down and be a crutch in life. Instead, I choose to rise up and really show people that, one, this is a real thing. Two, this happens here. But three, if it does happen to you, you can turn it around and use it for the good. And that's really what I've been doing with my nonprofit, Stopping Traffic. I created it in 2020 at just the young age of 18 years old since COVID had us on lockdown. And ever since then, I've been able to speak to millions of people, sharing my story, educating kids, and also parents, uh, educators, um, organizations, um, grandparents, even, even on just the, the dangers of social media, online predators and human trafficking, what to look for, um, how to report it, if you ever come across a situation such as that. So I'm just so thankful we really work to not only educate, but also um, obtain scholarship monies for survivors we've been able to grant one scholarship to a a young girl who's in our local community. Um, And then we also just did a fundraiser for World Day Against Trafficking where we will give another scholarship here soon. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for just the amount of growth that this organization has been able to have over the years. And our long-term goal is to one day essentially open up a safe home here in the Southern part of Alabama. It's so needed. With the Gulf Coast being a, a hot spot for tourism, we know that this is uh, happening here in our backyard. So that's really my future plans for it all. But I'm about to enter in my senior year of college at the University of South Alabama, majoring in criminal justice with a minor in finance. And you know, I I plan to do great things with that degree. So I'm just so thankful that I've just been given so many
0: amazing opportunities to to share my story. And what a story and experience that is, Brie. One of the comments that struck me is something that your mom said when she said someone is manipulating my daughter 70 feet from where I sleep and I didn't know. When you talk about how your nonprofit in part teaches warning signs and red flags and and what to do upon seeing them, what are some of those? When it comes to
1: warning signs, I... I just really like to reiterate to parents that when it comes to human trafficking, it looks so much more different than what they thought back in the day. No longer is it that that creepy white van or the creepy guy at the mall um, watching teenage girls. That's not the case anymore. The new white van is our cell phones. It is our devices. And, you know, what could have helped us in our situation is if my parents were more educated on the apps that I was using on a day-to-day basis. Granted, I know technology is ever so evolving and it's hard to keep up with it on a day-to-day basis, but it's so important as a parent to do that in order to keep your kids safe. Um, I like to compare it to driving a car. When our kids turn 16, we don't just throw them the car keys and say, good luck. We work with them that year before we show them the do's and don'ts because ultimately we know that a vehicle can take their life. And it's the same thing with a device. These kids are given access to a world that we know is so much more bigger than us in a matter of minutes, within a matter of seconds. And anyone can portray themselves to be someone that they're not on the internet by doing just, you know, creating a fake profile. So it really comes down to the parents knowing how to work these apps better than than these kids do. So by educating yourself, by really honing in and using these apps before you give it to your children, they're going to be safer all in all because when you do go to check their phones, you're going to be more knowledgeable than, uh, on what to look for, how to look for it, and, and gain those red flags a little bit quicker. Um, so I think it just comes down to that, just letting parents know that human trafficking is not just a physical crime anymore, it's now a technological one. They're using the internet, they're using these apps as because they know their hotspots in order to find these children. Um, So just becoming aware of that. But also, it's so important to know how to report these issues because we didn't know where to turn. Um, And if I didn't have parents that weren't so steadfast in this process, I don't know if my case would have gone anywhere after that altercation or that first incident with um, the local sheriff deputy. So, you know, just finding out in your community who really focuses on issues of human trafficking and where you can turn to
0: because you just never know if this is going to happen to you. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Another thing I found so surprising and heartbreaking is the district attorney there in your county um, that reported that 80% of middle schoolers, by the time they reach eighth grade, have sent a naked photo of themselves on their phone. And what I immediately pictured was the millions of parents who think, not my child. Of course, she wouldn't be that. He wouldn't be that. And really, they have no idea because of the manipulation and the web that these kids find themselves in. It has nothing to do with the character or innocence of the child. It's frankly what is sort of being done to them and drawn out. Do you still want to be a district attorney?
1: Absolutely. And that's such a good point to make because I was seen as the girl in school who did it all. I was a straight-A student involved in National Honor Society. I was involved in volleyball, competitive dance, track, cross-country, everything. The Will
0: Cain Show is now dropping five episodes
1: a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective,
0: along with thought provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
1: I was a busy girl in school, but I was also involved in my local church groups. Um, You know, I did extracurricular activities with different civic clubs and I was involved in my community. I was in eighth grade, speaking at a city council meeting, trying to get a cross country trail started in my community. So I was that girl who, who was involved. And you know, we think of victims, and we sort of think of the quiet ones in the back of the room who maybe come from a broken home or a broken family. And that's not the case. You know, this truly can happen to anyone. Um, and so I, I just like to reiterate that. If this happens to you, if it happens to your child, know that they didn't put themselves in that situation. These predators, they look for that, that right age group within middle school or maybe those who are just now entering into the high school arena because it's a year of transition. It's a year of newness. And they know that these kids are vulnerable. So it, it truly is up to the parents to ensure that these kids are being safe. Um, and just letting kids know that this can happen to you, but if it does, just know that It's okay, And, you know, as a district attorney, I would love to not only expand on the topics of human trafficking and really, you know, advocate for that within my community. But I know how much good I can do just for a younger generation. My heart truly does go out to them because I know how hard it is in these new years and in these new times. Um, I know it's hard to navigate life in general. So, being a voice and advocate for them, but also just my community in general, is truly a goal that I still have my eyes set on.
0: Well, you've definitely already achieved the goal of being an advocate, that's for sure. And the reason I asked about a district attorney is because I was curious given the fact that this individual has not been prosecuted, given that the state, as you articulated, of the case, which was the loss of evidence which seems like such a travesty and um, perhaps part of a more complicated situation for it. I was curious whether you were attracted to being a federal prosecutor um, or even a legislator, if indeed there is no legislation that supports prosecution of what would seem to be an overwhelming um, case, an overwhelmingly undoubtedly successful case, if that was something that you wanted to push for. This is me speaking as a former federal attorney, right? So I'm, I'm coming at it with a very specific lens. Um, anything you do, you will be successful and you will make a huge difference and you already are. But is there, do you feel that there will be one day a reckoning in your particular case or has that been laid to rest in your mind?
1: You know, I like to think of both sides. Um, I'm very much so a realist. And when I found out that ultimately the investigators couldn't do anything after they knew that he had entered into the country, it was heartbreaking. When that happened, I was, um, I believe it was the summer going into my senior year. And the years prior... To my high school experience, I went through it treading on eggshells because I didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he still had the intent to come in and try to kidnap me. I I didn't know all of these things, and I was the best decorated female athlete at my high school um, in terms of running that had ever gone through Mary J. Montgomery High School, and I still am to this day. So I. I had to run. I had to train um, long miles and I was running around my community. And, you know, my parents told me my freshman year, you can't run unless we know you're safe. So the only other individual who knew about my situation was my coach. And he ran every mile with me to the point where he got an injury in his foot. And then he biked every mile with me. And, you know, throughout those years, I was just Yes, I was running because I loved that sport, but also I was running because I was scared. It was my out. It was my way to kind of disconnect from society and the realities I was facing on a day-to-day basis because I couldn't be your normal teenager. I didn't get to do those things because I, I had to be safe. I had to be around people that I knew that I could trust. And so you do, you hope that this individual gets caught. But at the same time, when the investigators told me all of that, it was just kind of what I was expecting to hear. And I think in most situations, I kind of think about the worst as a way to not get my hopes up. And I knew that he had taken so much away from me in general, that he would probably win that battle too. And, you know, that's why I've kind of pushed so hard in my future is because this is a way for me to kind of take my power back from him to show him that you don't have those chains on me anymore. I'm not bound by you or this situation. And I'm so much more than what you thought I was. And I I think that's really why I wanted to go into the criminal justice field to begin with was so I can just relate to those victims, to people just like me, but also bring that hope to someone else in their case. Um, the first time I ever spoke and shared my story was, actually at my high school uh, to a group of ninth graders. My local FBI agent was there with me as well. And after that um, presentation was over with, I had a girl beeline to the stage and say in a quiet voice, like, this is happening to me and I don't know what to do. So I was able to put her in contact with my local FBI agent and she was able to take it from there. So that kind of confirmed everything in my head that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're doing exactly what you know, is intended for you and your purpose. And that's really what's been pushing me forward all these years. Um, so I, you know, I still hope that his day will come, but at the end of the day, I know that that day could could never possibly be here as well.
0: Thank you so much, Brie, for joining us today. Thank you for your advocacy, for the positive impact you've had on so many and that you will continue to have. I am so impressed by you. I'm so grateful for Everything that you have shared with such honesty and vulnerability, and your tireless commitment to helping others who are going through the same thing and to eventually preventing this from happening everywhere. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again, Brianna, for sharing your bravery with us today. Up next, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to discuss the national legislation she introduced that combats the harmful threats children face online. We'll be right back with more on this topic. Due to the constantly evolving nature of online social platforms, it's difficult for parents and families to shield children from the many dangers they're exposed to. That's why Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn, along with Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, have introduced the bipartisan Kids' Online Safety Act, a bill that would rein in the powers of big tech and protect children. Today, Senator Blackburn joins me to discuss the measures and precautions outlined in the legislation and shares how listeners can show support.
2: Over the years, over the past decade, really, so many parents and teachers and pediatricians had start looking at what is happening to kids online, what they're being exposed to. And what we know from the stats is that... Over the past decade, if you look at the numbers from 2010 to 2019, teen depression rates doubled. Now, think about that. In 10 years, those depression rates doubled. And then we also learned that in 2021, about a third of teenage girls were contemplating suicide. Now, what is the reasoning for this? Well, one of the ties that we have all looked at and that parents and teachers and pediatricians and ministers and uh, youth counselors have brought to us is how much time kids are spending online. If you're in that eight to 12 age group, you're probably spending five hours or more per day looking at a screen. If you're a teenager, you're spending eight hours or more every day looking at a screen. So as we worked through these issues, we really started on all of this when I led the technology working group task force there at the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Senator Blumenthal uh, was the Democrat lead on that committee. And we started doing a little bit of a deeper dive into technology. Then, when uh, the, in 2020, after those elections, in 21, you had him take the chairmanship of the subcommittee on consumer protection data security there at the Commerce Committee, and I was the top Republican on that committee. And as we worked on these issues, as we looked at social media and looking at online privacy, consumer privacy in the virtual space, we realized more and more that there was a significant problem with what was happening with children. So we started a series of hearings to look at what was happening to children online. And Emily, it was like we opened the floodgates as we held those hearings as we called social media platforms forward uh, we started to hear from whistleblowers we started to hear from parents who wanted to share their story about what had happened to their child we heard from pediatricians about the number of cases that were coming in the door that were depression and mental illness and things that were being triggered then we started to hear from parents about how their child had come into contact with a pedophile a drug dealer how they had been groomed by a trafficker in the virtual space and the the issues started to mount up So Senator Blumenthal and I about three years ago said, you know what, we need to do some legislation that puts the responsibility on social media platforms to make certain that they are doing everything they can to keep kids safe in the virtual space. So what would this legislation do and how would it protect kids? The Kids Online Safety Act. We'll do a few basic things, and we think this is the right way to do it. It would require social media platforms to give children and their parents options so that that child's information can be protected online. You know, a lot of times you will hear parents say, we don't want our child to be tracked and followed Online, and what we have learned is that these social media platforms are data mining those children, so it would allow parents and teens to disable some of these addictive product features, and they would be able to make recommendations. You know, we hear from a lot of parents about how their child went into watch a video and saw something on eating disorders and then they were fed more and more of that or they saw a video on suicide and they're fed more of that or some of these online challenges and then the challenges keep coming and the kid tries a challenge and ends up uh, dying. Also, it would give parents new controls so that they can help protect their children and so they can spot some of these bad actors and media platforms going to have to respond to them because we have talked to parents whose children have been harmed online or parents who have lost their child because of some of this online behavior. And they've tried to deal with the social media company to say these are bullying uh, our children and they won't even respond to the parents. So that is a change. Plus, this will create a duty, a responsibility for these online platforms to prevent and to mitigate specific dangers to minors. And again, this is Things like music to create suicide by, or how to carry out suicide, um, eating disorders, and uh, pushing you further into eating disorders. Some of these harmful activities that are there in these online challenges, and uh, substance abuse. You think about children that are meeting these drug dealers or the sexual exploitation. They're meeting these traffickers. And also, it would ban advertisements of the illegal products. And of course, you can't sell illegal products to a minor in the physical space, but they will advertise these things in the virtual space, just as, you know, in in the physical space, in the real world, there are laws against exposing children to some things. But in the virtual space, there are no laws. This is why parents and principals and teachers and pediatricians are saying, you've got to get virtual space in line. So... These are changes that would be there. This would ensure that parents and policymakers know whether these online platforms are taking these steps to address these risks so that children can be kept safe online. And the way we're going to do that is to require independent audits and supporting public scrutiny from experts and academic researchers to make certain that they don't go back to trying to push some of this harmful, illegal content on our children.
0: More of the Fox True Crime podcast coming up. Senator, you've mentioned that this legislation or this bill is bipartisan, which is fantastic to hear. What challenges, if any, have you encountered while trying to pass this bill.
2: You know, Senator Blumenthal and I've kind of chuckled through the years, but it's really sad. The lobbying effort from big tech has been tremendous and they have an army of lobbyists that are working against this. They are putting out all sorts of articles and saying, you know, well, this would really end up infringing your child's privacy, which is not true. And uh, what we know is that because our children, when they're online, when they're the product, then uh, they're going to continue to fight against this. I think that they really are threatened by the fact that we have 44 bipartisan Senate sponsors out of committee on a unanimous vote. So we've got from the left and the right that are supporting passing this legislation. Momentum is on our side. We are going to continue to work with all of these groups. You've got parents and tech experts and faith leaders and healthcare professionals, all that are pushing to get this signed and on the books.
0: What exactly is the argument by the social media platforms as those lobbyists challenge this, as you say? Are they arguing the actual data is factually incorrect? No.
2: Interestingly enough, they are not arguing that at all. One of the things that we have heard is that, well, it's going to require parents to put all of this personally identifying information in. And that's not true. There is a piece of legislation out there that would do that. But it is not the Kids Online Safety Act because our bill does not require any new age verification beyond what is already in existing law. And the FTC has enforced that for years. And this bill would put more power in the hand of parents and their children to protect them. But there again, you follow the money on this. And the big problem that social media has with this is that it would prohibit them from data mining these children and selling that data. We know that the net worth of these social media platforms is based on the number of eyeballs that they control and the amount of time those eyeballs stay on their platform.
0: So as a final question, how can listeners support this? Contact their local, their, their senators, obviously, but how else can they generate and show support for legislation that will ultimately help yes. children and preserve safety of families? Um, and if it's to the tune of some lost dollars, then resoundingly so be it
2: indeed and the way people can support this is by calling those elected officials they also need to be online supporting it they can go to my website blackburn.senate.gov they can follow me on social media they can repost some of the information that they are that is being put up that we are putting up they can send out your podcast to people (laughs) to say hey There is legislation that would help us protect our children by contacting your member of Congress, your member of the Senate.
0: Senator, thank you. Thank you so much for your advocacy, for your tireless effort, along with Senator Blumenthal on this. Um, I think oftentimes people feel you know, they're not sure if, if they're heard at your level and to hear from you at such an elite, connected level and to know how dedicated you are and how, again, tireless your efforts are. It's refreshing and we are grateful. And here's to getting that bill passed so that children's safety and online safety is secured. Thank you again, Senator. Thank you so much. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com.